Okay, we're going to be continuing our series in the coming persecution. Uh, this is part three, part three, and uh, you can open up to Galatians 1.10 will probably be the first passage that we actually look up. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, and as you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in, in prayer. So this is the coming persecution and uh, part three, Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that uh, in the midst of trials and suffering, in the midst of persecution, when uh, days get difficult for believers, you always have a remnant. And so I thank you, Lord, that the people who are here today are part of that remnant, those who refuse to, to bend the knee to the false gods, to Baal or Molech, Refuse to uh, to bend a knee to the an all powerful state or a state that wants to be all powerful. Refuses to bend a knee to political correctness. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to remain true and to remain faithful to our faithful God, to you, God the Father, and to your Son, the Lord Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit, the Triune God. May you empower us to be faithful. May you empower us to not just live for you, but to be willing to suffer and if need be, die for the cause of the gospel. So as our world declares war on you more and more, bring us closer to you and closer to your son and closer to your spirit. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would anoint me to proclaim your truth that you would fill me with your spirit and that I would rightly interpret your word and proclaim the truth that you want proclaimed today. I pray that I would not lead anyone astray with fake news. We get more than enough fake news. People who are here today are here for your truth. So I pray that you would use me as your instrument to proclaim your truth. Open hearts and minds, including my own, to understand and to receive your truth and give us the power to apply these truths to our lives so that on that day, when your son, King Jesus, returns to the planet Earth, he will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So the, the coming persecution, once again, this is part uh, three. Uh, we already talked about what the Bible says about persecution, that all believers will be persecuted. You know, everybody thinks, oh, Jesus is this nice, mellow guy who wanted to unite everybody. No, I mean, he's still into the Tower of Babel and dividing mankind while we're in opposition to him. The only kind of unity that God wants is unity in Christ, unity in truth. We can't fellowship with darkness. Okay, so Jesus came to divide, not to unite. He even came to divide families. Just on the way in the church this morning, a brother's telling me that, you know, he's, he's witnessing to his son, and his son made a profession of faith in Christ, but, uh, but he's got it all mixed up with some pretty bad ideas and things of that sort. And, and you know, Jesus came to divide families, the uh, believers versus the non-believers. Uh, our persecutors often believe, the Bible tells us, 
our persecutors often believe that they are serving God and doing the right thing. Okay? So it's, it's pretty crazy when people are going to be, I'm telling you, there's, there's going to be pastors in our area that if this half Portuguese, half Italian guy ever gets locked up for preaching the word, they're going to be saying, oh, I knew there was something wrong with the guy. As their churches go woke, okay? And, uh, but our persecutors often believe they are serving God and doing the right thing. We, we had seminaries, they're probably still doing it to this day. They teach you biblical truth, but then they say, don't tell this to your people because it'll bore them. They won't come back. It might convict them, might make them feel bad. So make people feel good. And in the seminaries, we try to often try, not every seminary, but many seminaries where we train pastors, we try to get them just to fill the the seats. It's all about the numbers. Keep people happy. And you'll find them jumping on one bandwagon, another bandwagon, and another bandwagon instead of staying true to Jesus. And... uh, uh, The Bible says all nations, that includes America, and it even includes the the Jewish state. All nations are eventually going to persecute Christians. Jesus said that in Matthew 24, 9. Uh, uh, But Jesus said the persecuted will be blessed by God, and our rewards in heaven will be great. So, you know, when you suffer persecution... You know, there's a lot of people that are better with money than I am, and they set aside a big chunk and invest it, and they're setting aside for their future. They're sacrificing now for the future. Well, spiritually speaking, we should all be doing that and saying, you know, if I got to suffer now, that's nothing when compared to the glory that will be revealed in us when Jesus returns. Romans 8, 18. But the persecutor will be blessed by God. So James, James says, consider it all joy when you encounter Various trials. Now, a lot of Christians out there, there's a lot of phony Christians. They, they probably won't get locked up. You'll see them on television that uh, Jesus wants you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this life. They're not talking about the hereafter and the resurrection. And um, so trust Jesus and get rich. And they act like uh, real godly Christians don't suffer. That's baloney. That's the theological official term for that. It's baloney. Okay. That's fake news. That's fake news. See, we don't need, this is the crazy thing. We don't have to go to the world to get fake news. We can get plenty of fake news just turning on the Christian television station. And there's some guys out there that are preaching the word, the Charles Stanleys and the David Jeremiah's. But believe me, there's a lot of health, wealth, and prosperity heretics. Now, the Bible does not teach that Christians don't suffer. The Bible says Christians suffer just as non-believers suffer. The difference is we don't suffer alone. King Jesus is with us in the fiery furnace. He's with us in the lion's den. And someday he may be with you in solitary confinement in a little tiny prison cell because you've been preaching the gospel in a culture that hates Jesus. We're not alone. Jesus is with us in our suffering. Now, last week we started, well, how should we respond to suffering? And the only point I made last week was don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to be ridiculed or to be persecuted for serving King Jesus. Wear it like like a badge of honor, okay? And um, I used to... uh, 
things have changed since the Seahawks have won a Super Bowl and all. But I used to remember that when I worked with the sub-base police and the Seahawks were having rough season after rough season, the Seahawks fans used to get real on fire for the Lord. I mean, on fire for the Lord, on fire for the Seahawks. And then the Seahawks would lose the first two games of, of the season. It was kind of a normal thing for them. And then uh, I remember the third game of the season, the Raiders lost. And a co-worker came in and said, said, hey, your Raiders lost there. And I said, yeah, it's, it's a bummer. And he said, my 49ers won. And I said, yeah, they did. They played a good game. And I thought, wait a minute. Weren't you a Seahawk fan a couple weeks ago? And then he got all embarrassed. But he was like, you know, he was pro Seahawks until they lose the first two games. And all of a sudden he'd become a 49er fan because back then they had won like four you know, four Super Bowls in a short period of time. And, um, and we humans are like that. You know, we're not faithful. When things get bad, we, 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 we kind of, we do a Judas thing. You know, we, we follow Jesus when we think he's going to, he might be the Messiah and the political powers with him. But then when he keeps talking about dying, we then want to align ourselves with his enemies, you know? and betray him and all. Well, don't be ashamed. Yeah, Jesus came and he suffered and died the most shameful death possible. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. But never, ever, ever be ashamed of the one who died for you because then he also rose from the dead and conquered death for you. And salvation is only through him. There's going to be people pitying us thinking, what a fool. So, so that person was a brilliant person, had so much potential, and they believed in all these outdated biblical myths, and they're going to make fun of us. And uh, say, so all you got to do is deny Jesus and side with us. And um, but we don't jump on bandwagons, okay? Uh, Jesus preached the message you got to, eat my flesh and drink my blood to go to heaven. He was using metaphors for coming to him and believing in him, John 6, 35. 5,000 people left Jesus. And then Jesus turned to the apostles. And the reason why Jesus preached that vulgar message to them, because he knew they were following him for the wrong reasons. They were following him because he put food in their belly. They were saying, we want Jesus to be the Messiah um, because he's good for the economy. And so Jesus... Jesus is not big on the church growth movement, just fill the seats. Jesus wants more and more people to come to church, but for the right reasons, to worship him. Okay? And um, not what's in it for me type of attitude. And uh, so Jesus preached that message and 5,000 left. Jesus turned to the apostles and said, you guys want to leave too? And I'm sure Peter was bummed out at this point. He was like, man, we worked hard for this. We had a mega church. We had 5,012 people, and now 5,000 are gone. It's right back to square one. Jesus, I don't even know what you were talking about, eating your flesh, drinking drinking your blood, but um, did you have to pick this time for that sermon? But Jesus said, you guys want to leave too? And Peter's like, well, where are we going to go? We come to believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that you have the words of eternal life. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Peter later on had a bad night where he was ashamed of Jesus. He didn't have many bad nights after that. That dude went all the way to the cross. 
Never wanted to be ashamed again. But don't be ashamed of Jesus. Where, where, where are we going to go? You got to like Peter and the apostles. Other than Judas, you got to put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. If Jesus isn't the one, who is? John the Baptist sent, sent uh, his disciples. He was in prison. He's thinking, I, I'm pretty sure Jesus is the Messiah. You know, the Holy Spirit came down on him when I baptized him, the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. I think he's the one, but he's not. He hasn't even started building an army yet. And the Messiah is supposed to conquer the pagans. Let me send my guys to him. And they asked, are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus said, well, tell him what you see. And he quoted from Isaiah, the deaf hear, the blind see. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Isaiah was probably um, John the Baptist's favorite Old Testament book. And um, so, hey, let me tell you, if Jesus is not the one, there isn't anybody. Put all your eggs into Jesus' basket. Jesus is the one. He is God the Son, become a man, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And contrary to what the quote-unquote powerful people of our age say, he will come back. He will come back. And so we should not be ashamed. Now, what's going on here with this persecution is totalitarianism. Uh, it's what I call the deification of the state. In the Old Testament, that was, uh, I mean, in the, in the ancient times, the Romans, you know, many empires deified the state. You had to say Caesar is Lord, or they would uh, uh, torture you or execute you. And the Christians said, no, Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord, okay? Now, what ancient Rome didn't have and the power-hungry blasphemers of today, what they do have is the technology that the Romans lacked. So you got no place on planet Earth to hide, okay? And I believe we're, we're witnessing the kingdom of the Antichrist being built stone by stone and... Um, and I don't want any part of that. And um, But the deification of the state, the way the evil dictator, the fascist Benito Mussolini, the way he put it, and I'm referring again, I'm reading a quote from Thomas Williams, The Coming Christian Persecution. If you want some more background on this, the sermon that I'm giving are just from the Bible, but he gives you all the data on the persecution and stuff. And But Benito, Benito Mussolini stated, everything within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. So totalitarianism is when the government says, we have complete, complete control and we demand your complete allegiance to us. And we see that, you know, we saw that in Nazi Germany where the state was deified. We saw that in Italy, in fascist Italy. We saw that in the old Soviet Union. We see it in China and North Korea, okay? The deification of the state. And, uh, and the state wants to play God. And so now the deification of the state, Thomas Williams points this out. It's a fact that Christians have known throughout the centuries uh, the distinction between white martyrdom and red martyrdom, the deification of the state has brought about 
white martyrdom and will bring about red martyrdom. Okay? Now, white martyrdom is like in Hebrews 12, 4. The author of Hebrews tells them, you guys have suffered, but you haven't suffered yet to the point of the shedding of blood. So white martyrdom is when you get ridiculed, you get censored, you could lose your job, okay? Um, uh, but you're not shedding blood at that point. Red martyrdom is when your blood gets spilled. And usually it starts out like it did in the book of Acts, where usually the government doesn't care. It's a religious issue. Who cares? And Paul starts preaching, and then the Jews get mad in the synagogues, and they start a riot. And then the government says, we don't like riots. We want to put down this riot. Who started it? And they say, that guy, Paul. And then he's the one who gets arrested, not the guys who were beating him up. And we're starting to see that already. But that's when you start on the road to red martyrdom. Eventually, it gets to the point where you like Stephen, one of the seven deacons, stoned to death in the book of Acts for preaching the gospel. James, the brother of John, was beheaded by one of the Herods. Uh, then eventually, um, in 62 AD, James, the half-brother of Jesus, was thrown off the temple. They tried to stone him, and eventually they bashed his head in with a club. Then, of course, Peter crucified upside down in Rome, about 67 AD. Paul beheaded in Rome, uh, about 67 AD. A couple years later, Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified on an egg-shaped cross. Uh, Doubting Thomas preached to the Brahmin Hindus in India and uh, was, uh, was beaten to death there. And so what the, the deification of the state, when the state claims to be God, that has already brought about white martyrdom. It's why two of my sermons a few weeks ago were, were canceled, removed from YouTube. Okay. And I have to be very careful about the things I say. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but we can talk about it next week. If I don't, uh, but Jesus told us to not cast our pearls before swine. Because if you do, then they're going to trample you under your feet. We preach the gospel message to non-believers who are open to the gospel message. But to people who've declared war, we've got to be very careful. We've got to be wise as serpents. And um, we'll talk about that, too, that God's going to call some of us to be loud. And so God's going to call some of us to be bold but quiet type Christians. And, um, and we'll talk about that. But this white martyrdom is going on right now, and uh, it's going to eventually lead to red martyrdom. That's why one guy who's real, not a believer, in fact, he used to hate Christians until now because, he, because he's for limited government, um, Christians are his only friends at this point. One guy um, on the internet said that cancer culture is just a dress rehearsal for genocide. Once you cancel people where, you know, it's like I told my, my kids at school for, for decades now, Christians are still free in America. We're just not quite as free as everybody else. That's a dangerous place to be. And, um, you know, we're being told, we've been told now for decades, it's okay to talk biblical stuff in Christianity, but just keep it in your home and keep it in your churches. Now we have hundreds of pages of documentation. Just talk to Jay Sekula and the ACLJ um, of the federal agents going 
uh, to, to church services and spying on churches. So, um, you know, but this white martyrdom eventually is going to bring about red martyrdom. And so how should we respond to persecution? First, don't be ashamed. Second, obey God rather than man. Live to please God. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were being beaten and arrested for preaching the gospel. They were ordered by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, to no longer preach in Jesus' name. But the apostles responded to these powerful people. They spoke truth to power in the truest sense of that phrase. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. So it's like, you know, it's like, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle you. If you're a political leader, um, uh, if you're the, the president or head of some big globalist organization, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to start trouble with you, okay? But I got to decide which side I'm on. And I'm on the side of King Jesus. And so with Joshua, I would say, but it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must obey God rather than men. Well, we might have to kill you. Hey, I got to do what I got to do. You got to do what you think you got to do. Okay? Now, I might not want to cooperate. I might want to run. You guys know with my back issues, I don't run that fast. My wife doesn't run that fast. It's not going to be a spectacular Hollywood chase. But if you can catch me, if you can find me and you can catch me, then you do what you got to do. But like Paul and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. So look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul was saying something that was not very popular, and that is that we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, don't have to get circumcised and become Jews first in order to get saved by Jesus. He said, no, the Gentiles don't have to get circumcised. And he, Paul knew he could become very popular in the Jewish community if he would just say, yes, Christians have to, uh, Gentiles have to get circumcised and become Jews, place themselves under the law, then they could trust in Jesus for salvation, and then he wouldn't even be persecuted by the Jewish religious leaders, who were the only ones at that point who were really persecuting the Christians. Every once in a while, they would convince the Romans to get involved. And um, so Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, what he's saying, you got to choose which side you're on. There isn't one person in this room right now who shouldn't have decided. If you haven't decided already before you walked in today, decide now which side you're on. Don't wait for somebody to put a a gun to your head. You got to decide right here and now which side you're on. Are you living to please men? Or are you living to please the Lord? Okay? And Paul's saying, look, if I wanted to please men, I wouldn't be in all this trouble with the world. Now, it just so happened when we signed on with Jesus, when we trusted in Jesus for salvation, we aligned ourselves 
with the guy that this world has hated more than any other person who ever lived. Okay? They love paying lip service. Oh, he's probably the greatest guy who ever lived. Just the apostles didn't understand his message. He really didn't claim to be God. All religions lead to heaven. That's all Jesus was teaching. If that's what Jesus was teaching, why in the world would they have killed the guy? Okay? They killed Jesus, the one we worship. They killed the apostles, the other founders of our so-called religion. If they killed them, what makes us think we're going to get any better treatment? Remember, Jesus said in John 15, 18, if you find the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, now look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. So how should we respond to persecution? First off, don't be ashamed. Second, obey God rather than men. And now third, we're told to love our enemies and pray for them and to turn the other cheek. This is not this was not something that was real easy for me. Growing up in Essex County, New Jersey, my dad was like the most peaceful guy on the planet Earth. But it was still Essex County, New Jersey. Okay? And he was one of 13 kids born to Portuguese immigrants during the Depression, growing up during the Depression. And, you know, he would just say, hey, you know, somebody bad mouths, you know, be nice to people. Somebody bad mouths your mother or your sisters or your family, you take them down, you take them down hard. Okay? And, you know, I graduated high school. I weighed 125 pounds soaking wet. Pound for pound, I was a pretty tough guy. Pound for pound doesn't amount to anything in street fights. So there was times I went to defend the family name, and I was the one who got whooped, okay? Um, and so, uh, but the thing is, God actually was teaching me how to turn the other cheek before I even became a Christian, okay? It's called, I, I lived for three months on an island in South Carolina, and it was like no southern hospitality. It's called Marine Corps Boot Camp. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I had guys bad-mouthing my mother, my sisters. They didn't even know them. And I knew I had to take it. They were trying to push my buttons, trying to get me to break. If they can break you in boot camp, you'll never do well in combat. And by the grace of God, I never had to see combat. But, uh, but they were trying to break me. And now it did help. That when I got my real drill instructors, the guys who were yelling at me before, man, I, these were not rough guys. Rough, they were administrative Marines. And stuff. When I got my drill instructors, man, I knew things would not go well if I locked horns with them. So that kind of helped me make the right decision, which was for three months at Paris Island, I had to turn the other cheek. Okay? So God was already changing my heart there and getting me used to turning the other cheek and... Um, and but but that's the, what we got to do, even when we're when we're persecuted. God calls us to turn the other cheek. Uh, look at uh, Matthew chapter five, verses forty-three to forty-eight in the Sermon on the Mount, which everybody claims to love, which just shows very few people have actually read and understand the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this in Matthew five, forty-three to forty-eight. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the rabbis were teaching of his day. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. 
and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You realize we're supposed to be praying, you know, God, Paul tells us in one of his letters to Timothy that we should be praying for our leaders. Are, are you praying for your political leaders, even the leaders that would like to see you dead because you're a believer? You're not on board with worship of the state? Are you praying for them? We're supposed to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. Verse 45, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So he's saying, look, God the Father loves the just and the unjust. He loves the non-believers and the believers who trust in him for salvation. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, perfect there, the Greek word means complete. And this verse has been taken very much out of context. Uh, sometimes we could teach the right truth from the wrong passage. And that goes on there. But when we're told to be perfect, just as our Father in heaven is perfect, the context is God is perfect in his love that he loves the saved and the unsaved. Okay? He loves those who are in his kingdom and those who are outside his kingdom. And love means to seek the greatest good for others and expect nothing in return, demand nothing in return. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, your father is complete in his love. He loves everybody. We Christians need to be like God the Father and be complete in our love. We need to love the believers and the non-believers, okay, even if they persecute us. Then look at Matthew 5, a few verses before this, uh, verses 38 and 39. Uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Now, by the way, Jesus is not taking away what was written in the Old Testament. Jesus did not say, you have read. Okay? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. <clears throat> Jesus didn't make a mistake in the Old Testament when he wrote that. Okay? What Jesus is opposed to is what they had heard, the oral commentary, what later on became in written form, the Jewish Talmud. What the rabbis said that eye for an eye, tooth for tooth meant. They say eye for an eye, tooth for tooth means if somebody slaps you, you're allowed to slap them. Okay? Uh, you're allowed to take your own vengeance. Paul talks about that in Romans 12. Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But then it goes right into Romans 13 that God instituted human government and gave it a sword to bring his vengeance down on the evildoer. So you've got the right to protect yourself and protect your family. You don't have the right to take vengeance on another. Then it becomes a state issue. Okay? And uh, so they were saying that eye for an eye, tooth for tooth justifies revenge. But Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other uh, to him also. Now, keep in mind, uh, we have very thin skin <clears throat> here in America today. We are wimps compared to the ancients. 
A slap across the face in ancient times was considered an insult. Today, you slap somebody across the face, you can go to prison for assault, okay? So just keep in mind that um, we have to apply these passages to our wimp culture, okay? 99.9% of the time when somebody's slapping you across the face, your life's not on the line, okay? So you, you turn the other cheek. Now, that 0.1% of the time, if somebody's got hands as big as Pedro, okay, that's a big slap, okay? Um, if Mike Tyson tries to slap somebody across the face, that's a slap that can kill, okay? And uh, so I, I, I really think, with, with my background in boxing and in sports, if somebody slaps me across the face, I've got to decide is my safety and well-being at stake? Because if it's not, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. Okay? Now, my wife's health's not as good. So if you slap me across the face, I turn the other cheek. Okay? You slap my wife across the face, you're going down. You know? I got to protect. I didn't, I didn't have to get married. God gave me the freedom to say I do to my missus. I said I do to my missus. Well, now I have the obligation of protecting her. Okay? But when people are persecuting you, uh, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. And that goes against everything that this world teaches us. Um, you know, in, in fact, right now, the name of the game, if you want political power, you've got to claim to be a victim and you've got to blame everybody else for your problems. Even if there's problems that you you yourself made. I know guys in their 60s that have destroyed every relationship they were ever in, and they still blame mommy and daddy for all their failures. You know, I feel like taking these guys aside. Look, your parents have been dead for 20 years. When are you going to start, you know, cut the umbilical cord, grow up? You're 60 years old, dude. And um, But we got people who want to blame... Everybody else for their problems. Sometimes they want to blame people for what was done hundreds of years ago. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek, love our enemies, and pray for them. See, the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit the Holy Spirit wants to bear in your life, Galatians 5, and 23, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Paul says, against such things there is no law. Do you know that God's word doesn't say you need to bear the fruit of the Spirit except when people treat you bad? No. You know, the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. If a guy comes to me and says, my wife won't submit to me, and I said, well, does she know about those passages? Yes, she knows. Every time I bring them up, she gets mad. I said, well, don't bring them up then. And, um, but my question to these, what, what am I supposed to do? The guy asked me. He says, well, what does the Bible tell you to do? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. The Bible tells you, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, I, I can't do that. I'm trying. Well, keep trying. Okay? So the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't command us, obey God when everybody treats you nice. The Bible says obey God, period. You know, I, I'm supposed to preach God's word. 
whether you boo me or you say amen. And I, I'm, I'm amazed at the work God is doing in Kitsap County. Because I'm really shocked that we have, we're not considered a big church, but I'm shocked that there's anybody here, to be honest with you. That there's anybody in Kitsap County who is hungry for God's truth. And, and this is not the only church. We, there, there are guys, and you probably don't know most of their names. Because you're preaching God's truth, you're, it's really hard. It's a hard way to build a church. And, uh, but it's the biblical way. There's others that are preaching God's truth as well. But, but even if you, you know, Paul preached the same message, even if the people booed him or bounced rocks off his head, he was still going to preach God's truth. Now, he's going to be wise as a serpent. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So he knew that when I'm in the synagogue, I can go right to the Old Testament scriptures and bring up prophecies that Jesus fulfilled to prove that he's the Messiah. When I go to the marketplace, they don't care about the scriptures. They don't even know what they say. And so he has to talk about God giving us a witness, evidence of his existence through nature and through the seasons and providing food for us, okay? And then giving us evidence, his stamp of approval on this one man that he is the one your eternal destiny will be based. He put a stamp of approval on this one guy named Jesus by raising him from the dead. And, um, uh, but we got to preach the truth, whether, uh, and obey God, whether it's possible, uh, prop, whether it's popular or not, whether people applaud us or try to kill us. Uh, look at Romans chapter eight. So don't be, how should we respond to persecution? Don't be ashamed. Obey God rather than men. Love our enemies and, and, uh, pray for them. Turn the other cheek, and then in Romans, we're told that God's going to work everything for our good, okay? And I'm telling you, I can envision ways to be persecuted where it's going to be a hard time to convince me that God's working that for my good, okay? And um, But I got to either believe God and his word, or I got to... Uh, believe my feelings. And if my feelings contradict the word of God, I got to go with the word of God. So Paul says this in Romans 8, 18. You're not going to handle suffering well unless you accept this, this verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are nothing worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul's saying the sufferings we go through now, they just pale in comparison with the glory we're going to receive when Jesus comes back. Now, what are we going to tell Paul? Well, what do you know about suffering, Paul? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the dude was just getting beat up all the time. Okay? And uh, well, you think of Paul as some kind of wimp and stuff. No, he was one strong dude who was really, really battered. You know, he probably limped all over the place. His face was probably all messed up. But that's just, you know, when people bounce rocks off your face, you know, don't plan on um, getting the, the leading role in some 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 Hollywood movie, but um, but Paul said, "Look, the sufferings of this present time, nothing to be compared with the glory, which will be revealed in us when King Jesus returns." We got to have that eternal perspective. Paul could say in Romans eight twenty eight later on in this chapter, and we know that God, 
And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay. I did a study on all things. It's just one word in the Greek. It's like panta or pontus. And um, I did this big, long study on all things. And at the end of like a two-week study, I realized the best way to translate it is all things. It means it's every circumstance. You know, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That in its proper context doesn't mean you can name and claim a Corvette in Jesus' name and get it. What it means is Paul says, I know what it's like to be poor, and I know what it's like to have my belly filled. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I could survive the good times and the bad times because Jesus is my strength. And so don't trust in your circumstances. So when things go bad, you start giving up. Trust in the one who's in control of your circumstances. Trust in the one who will take even the bad circumstances and work them for good in your life. And you might say, well, how can God work this for good? You know, my loved one died or this or that. God allowed the Holocaust. How could God work it for good? Hey, it's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. God's ways and his thoughts are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. We're never going to have God completely figured out. You know, Job, the whole book of Job, you know, God, I'm a righteous man. Why are you allowing? I'm obedient to you. Why are you allowing? I'm trusting in you. I'm obeying you. Why are you allowing me to suffer? God doesn't even respond to him. Okay? God just basically said, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you when I created Behemoth and Leviathan? You can't control them. I created them. And uh, he's basically saying, look, just trust me, Job. I know what I'm doing. You know enough about my goodness to trust me in areas that you just don't understand. How can God bring good out of evil situations? Hey, what's the, here's one thing I do know. What was the most unjust event in the history of mankind? Well, that's when God became a man and we killed him. Was God capable of bringing good out of that? Yep. Without Jesus' death on the cross, none of us would be saved. So we just got to trust him and know that God works all things for our good, uh, even our sufferings, and our present sufferings are nothing when we compare them to the uh, future glory we'll receive when King Jesus returns. See, the health, wealth, and prosperity guys that say that if you have no lack of faith and unconfessed sin, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Well, God does want all believers to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, but that's not in this cursed creation. Right now, he's called us to carry a cross. When Jesus returns, returns, then we get the crown. Then we get the thrones. Then we'll have our resurrection bodies. You know, these health and wealthers don't even know what health really is. When you get your immortal body, a body not even capable of dying, um, that's when you'll have your health, your wealth and prosperity reigning with Jesus. Right here, it's our job. And I'll, I just leave the rewards to the Lord. You decide what rewards. You want to, if in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus comes back to reign, if Jesus wants to give me a mop and tells me to mop one building in Newark, New Jersey, look, I'm just happy to be there, King Jesus, okay? So it's not our job to, to pick our crowns and to pick our thrones, okay? It's God's job 
to distribute the rewards, okay? It's our job to carry a cross. And I don't know why God would call the mission that he gives us a cross if it doesn't involve some type of suffering. We worship a suffering Savior. He called us to be like him. And part of that, a big part of that, is going to be uh, suffering. Now, let me say this. I am all for studying apologetics, how to defend the faith and answer objections. And um, Paul commands Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, to be diligent in studying God's word so you won't be ashamed. You'll be able to handle accurately the word of truth. I'm all for that, but some of you might say, well, you know, I've been studying the word a long time and I answer the objections of these other people and it's and that. Look, just just try the power of God, pray for God's wisdom, pray that God opens the scriptures to you and gives you answers to respond. If you don't know the answers, research the issues with people, take them to people who do know the answers, whatever it may be, pray about them. Just do the best you can do at the same time in Matthew chapter 10, um, God's word says that when you get persecuted, uh, God will give us the words to speak. Matthew 10, 16 to 20. Now, this, by the way, this is not an excuse to say, oh, good, I don't have to study the word. When things get bad, uh, God will give me the words. Look, you still need to study the word, um, but God's going to give you the words to say, um, Matthew 10, 16 to 20. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you uh, up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Okay? So God will give us the words to speak. It's our job is to be, just be faithful to King Jesus, and God's going to give you the words to speak. Now, you know... The night that Jesus was betrayed, doubting Thomas said, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Later on that night, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus, what is truth? And the same answer would have sufficed, but Jesus didn't answer a word. So Jesus knew one guy was ready for the answer, the other guy wasn't. So God will give you the words to speak <clears throat> if there's any words to be spoken. God might just have you remain silent and just smile and just pray for the person who's persecuting you. But God will give us the words uh, to speak. And then uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 28, same chapter, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 Paul says this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, 
You want to fear? <clears throat> fear God alone. He's the one who determines your eternal destiny. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. That's how you enter into a relationship with God. You recognize there is a God and I'm not him. And you start recognizing I got a guilty conscience before him. I need to find out how things can be made right between me and him. <clears throat> God reveals the Lord Jesus to you, that he's the only way to the Father. And so then you trust in Jesus for salvation. Most of us trusted in Jesus for salvation out of fear of hell. We didn't want, we don't want to go to hell. We don't want to face eternal torment. Now, John later on says in his epistles um, that perfect love cast out all fear. So that initial fear relationship with the Lord more and more progressively becomes a love relationship with the Lord. You start obeying the Lord not because you're afraid of him, but because you love him. Okay, so like at first we obey our parents because they spank us. As we get older, we obey our parents because we don't want to let them down. We love them too much. Okay, and um, and so uh, at the same time, Paul could still say work out, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So even though you have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus, He's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still the God who created the universe. Okay? He's still the God who conquered the grave. And death, man's greatest enemy. And so you got to remind yourself who it is you're working for. Um, Phil Filippiano is an Italian guy from, I think he was from New Jersey. He was a linebacker for the Raiders. And he was a rookie, and um, and um, he was at one of the first practices with the other Raiders, and they were practicing and everything. And and he noticed an old skinny dude just standing there, with sunglasses on, and uh, and uh, and so he went into the defensive huddle and said, "Who's the old creep that keeps watching us and stuff like that?" And they'd say, "Well, that's Mr. Davis." As Al Davis, the owner of the Raiders. And it was like, Phil Filippiano was one tough dude. It was like, he says, that's Al Davis? That's him? It was like, okay, I'm just going to get with his program. So you got to always, you got to remember throughout your walk with the Lord, yes, Jesus loves you, but he's still God and you're not. So there's got to be that healthy fear and trembling. But don't fear man. In this context, don't even fear Satan and his demons, okay? They can't throw you into hell. If you tr trust in the Lord Jesus, then don't fear. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8. We're going to be closing <clears throat> with the next two passages here, and we'll pick it up next week. Romans 8. Verses 35 to 39. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. 
We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? So, um, don't fear. We're more than conquerors in Christ. It may not feel like we win. You know, it may not feel like, you know, I mean, in the eyes of the world, Paul was not a winner. He was executed as if he was a criminal, was beheaded. Peter, crucified upside down. Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross. These are losers in the eyes of the world. But we don't care what the world says. We don't fear the world. We're more than conquerors in Christ. We keep judging things. You know, people say, well, God's not just. And they look at the little 70, 80 years that were given on planet Earth. You've got to take all of eternity into the picture. Okay? And God's people, America's been the big exception. God's people have, have suffered and been persecuted and been beaten and maligned. It gets going on in countries throughout the world, about 150 countries throughout the world right, right now. We've been the most abused people on the planet Earth. Here in America, the only people who have less rights than, than Christians are unborn babies. Their right to life isn't even, isn't even acknowledged. And uh, we got to say, hey, so in the eyes of the world, let me, say, let me tell you this right now. In the eyes of the world, Phil Fernandez is a loser. Okay? And you know what? I don't care. I'm not trying to please the world. You know, I have, I've had guys tell me, say, you know, Francis, all right, you're a short guy and this and that, and you talk funny, but you got a lot of potential, man. If you just apply, if you just apply these characteristics that you have, you can make a lot of money doing this or doing that. I just look at them like, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. When I turned my life over to Jesus, it was just like, Jesus, you teach me how to conquer. I'm not, I'm not going to go to Bill Gates. Bill Gates, teach me how to conquer. Where's he going to be on the judgment day if he doesn't repent? Pray for him. Pray for him to come to Christ. But uh, no, we're more than conquerors in Christ. Uh, and then we'll close with Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. So next week we'll be talking about it's okay to flee or try to defend your loved ones if that's what God's called you to do. It's okay to be a quiet Christian if that's what God's called you to be. Um, it shouldn't be our goal <clears throat> to get ourselves martyred. I have to remind myself, even when I preach, you know, hey, I'm not trying to get myself killed or arrested, but it's our job to obey the Lord, okay? Uh, but Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, so we'll see next week about how, 
you know, we've got to be wise as serpents. Don't cast pearls before swine. We'll see Jesus' example, why he taught in parables, things of that sort. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from that, okay? And um, there's a time when God's going to call you just to offend everybody in the room. And there's a time when God's going to just tell you, God tells me this on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's the voice of God. It sounds like my voice in my head, but it's the voice of God. It just says, Phil, just shut up, okay? Just, just keep your mouth shut. I'm, I've got it in control. You say anything here, it's only going to make matters worse, okay? There's a time to be quiet and a time to be loud. We've got to be wise as serpents. We'll talk about that next week. But here we're talking about do not fear. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The author of Hebrews says this, let, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The worst that man can do to you, if you're, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you're trusting him for salvation, the worst that somebody can do to you is usher you immediately into Jesus' presence. Okay? So don't fear man. We're more than conquerors in Christ. So how should we respond to persecution? Don't be ashamed. Never be ashamed of Jesus or the gospel. Obey God rather than men. Live to please God. Love your enemies and pray for them. Even if they beat you, turn the other cheek. Recognize that God will work everything for our good. Realize that God will give us the words to speak if we, that day comes and we get arrested. And then do not fear, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And we're going to bring up about four, four more points next week, and then we'll conclude our, our uh, uh, series of, of sermons on, uh, on persecution. You know, as your pastor, it, one of my jobs is to teach you as Christians, how should a Christian live? Um, but in this trying time, the Bible talks about it. Um, it seems that uh, God wants pastors to also teach our people how is it that we should suffer and die? How should we be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel? It's not our goal. Our goal is to lead people to Christ. But when people don't want to come to Christ, they might not just say no to Jesus, but they might look at you and just say, okay, let's rid the earth of this guy. Okay? We've got right now churches being desecrated in America, in Canada, and throughout the world. Satanic symbols being placed on them. Churches being burned down. And um, uh, it's, get, it's getting hot in the kitchen. But we have nothing to fear because we're more than conquerors in Christ. Good news is King Jesus, if you're trusting him for salvation, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, you prepared us, those who trust in your son Jesus for salvation, you prepared us to live for you, uh, but your Holy Spirit can also prepare us to suffer and if need be, die for you. And Lord, as we share our faith with others, as we disciple others, as we try to be all that you called us to be, we realize that this world more and more hates your son, the Lord Jesus, 
And so it's starting to hate us as well. And so I just pray. I pray, Lord, for the persecuted church throughout the world. And I know the persecuted church has been praying for generations for America because they've seen the signs of the times. They've seen that, uh, that, that suffering is coming to America and persecution is coming to America. I pray, Lord, that each and every person here, that we'd all acknowledge we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and that we would trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus, God the Son, become a man who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And he will return in glory to rescue his people and to defeat his enemies. Uh, but until that day, may your Holy Spirit empower us to live for your son Jesus and if need be to be willing to die for your son Jesus as well. In Jesus' precious name we pray.